Hi, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Samwise Yaboinski podcast. We are so grateful for you tuning in, and hello, Sam. How are you? I'm very well, Chris. I'm very, very well. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been so lovely. We're recording on a Sunday, which is a bit of a departure for us, but it means we came fresh from some wonderful in-person worship services, and it's just such a joy. Susan Kobayashi with us. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Susan. Nice to be here. Tell us a little bit about your kind of process, journey, spiritual path that brought you uh, to First Church. Well, I I grew up Jewish in New Orleans, and um, we were a very, um, my parents were not particularly religious. their, Their parents had been but uh, we were sent to a reform Sunday school, but did not really bring religion home with us at all. Uh, we didn't say Friday night prayers. We didn't. The, the one thing I remember doing as a family was Passover. And that was something we did um, every year, initially with my grandparents, and then later with a huge group of my parents' close friends. And um, I, I went through my my whole through confirmation and um all but also was having this other weird parallel experience which was for three summers starting when I was eight my sister and I went to church uh, not to church to camp in North Carolina and we never did find out what denomination it was I think uh, it may have been Southern Baptist, but um, <laughs> for these eight weeks in the summer, we would go to a church where on Sunday we would wear white shorts and we'd have church services in the morning and in the afternoons we had vespers. And um, as part of the best vespers, we pledged allegiance to the Christian flag. Wow. I have only once heard someone knowing of, and that was that was when I went to a Methodist church. Uh, a service in Belmont many years ago. So um, I always had some guilt about that, but I think usually I did it. And then at Saturday night or Sunday night, I'm not sure which, we would have a campfire and we'd sing going there such songs as Onward Christian Soldiers. Wow. And if you you really are tone deaf and could stand it, I could still sing to you, <laughs> Are Ye Able, said the... Uh, the who to be crucified with me. Wow. Mm. So that it was, it was you know, a very mixed experience. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, but, you know, it was, it was fine. And then when I was in high school, um, I became very involved with B'nai B'rith youth, which was um, a more conservative, uh, quite frankly, more at that point, lower class group, immigrants and working class Jews. And uh, it was an absolutely wonderful experience. We learned songs, we had conferences, um, we, um, I mean, it was a, it was such a good experience, both as a high school student and also as a Jewish youth that I almost never think about it because I have not one bit of conflict in my mind about it. It was just Mm. a pure good experience. Um, Like so many, after that, I really, by the time I went to to college, I became much less involved in religion. Although when I was in my 20s and living alone, I would do the Hanukkah candles and still go to Passover services and all. Um, My husband, Dick, who I married at the age of 26, came from a congregationalist background. Mm. And um, our Sunday mornings while we had young kids tended to be at Our Lady of the Mattress, as it were called. (laughs) And um, 
At some point, we did try uh, the Congregationalist Church down the street from here, in part because my younger son had a very close friend there. But it turned out that our older son, Dan, was the only kid his age in the Sunday school class. And so that sort of ended. And um, eventually, we did go to try First Church again. We had tried it once, but... um, Sam found that going into the Sunday school class and having to meditate was too weird for him. So we we didn't go. And then what I say finally sort of brought us back was that our older son, Dan, was the age for AYS, which Mm -hmm. we now call OWL. Mm. And so we initially came to First Church for sex, but then stayed for religion. That's perfect. (laughs) Very, very shortly thereafter, um, I became pretty involved. I joined the Adult Education Committee, and um, among the programs that started at that point, Alpha was nice enough to do one with us called Singing for Non-Singers, Uh, basically, which I initiated because I was jealous of all those people who were singing. And I know that at least one person is now in the choir because of that experience. And that was also the time that uh, men's groups started, although the Adult Programs Committee pretty much left that alone because uh, we had a man who had connection with it, a member of the committee, and some of the women's groups And um, I was pretty involved for a while. And at some point, I uh, became employed by the Unitarian Universalist Association Mm -hmm. that located that wonderful building on Beacon Street. Um, I had an office that was fairly ugly, but did overlook the common and the frog pond. Wow. And... um, I was there for two and a half years until the um, the campaign, the capital campaign that was going on ended. And uh, I had been during that time, I had been traveling a lot and being at other churches on Sundays, other elsewhere in the country and sort of lost uh, my initiative to go to First Church. Mm. So for many years, I I always stayed involved on some level, but did not attend and and missed many wonderful uh, ministers in the process, including Doris Hunter, who's still, you know, with us and a pleasure to be with. Mm. And then um, probably, I'm going to guess about the time I retired, which is almost nine years ago, I got involved with the Adult Programs Committee again and um, joined a small group ministry, Mm. which is still going on. I think that's the oldest one the church has. I think it's been going for about 15, it's 15 or 20 years already. And I was fortunate they had an opening and I joined it. And it's still my uh, wonderful Tuesday night experience. And um, yeah, how often do you guys meet the small group? This one meets every Tuesday and uh, every other Tuesday and the first and third Tuesday of the month. And uh, it used to be that during the summer we would meet um, maybe once a month. But now uh, with the Zoom connections, I think we pretty much kept it going all summer last year. Wow. And and for those of our folks tuning in who don't know about small group ministry yet what how what has been some of the most meaningful or what do you appreciate most about it well i think one of the things that i appreciate about the church in general but it's also very well in in general in our normal lives for example when we made lists of who we were going to invite to our son's weddings it was people who we'd known for a long while and known well and frequently knew four generations in their family, had known our friends' parents, knew their grandkids, etc. I would say that in the church, you have many times a level of involvement that is equally as intimate, but you may not know another member of their family at all. Right. You probably have never been in their house 
But you may know, as I've learned through involvement in these groups and also years again writing your spiritual autobiography, you may have um, some very intimate and deeply, deeply meaningful yeah. ways that you're connected. Yeah. And what that means for me is that sometimes you just need to look at each other and you remember what you have shared. Mm. And um, and that's tremendous. The topics we've had in small group ministry um, have been very, very serious sometimes and sometimes a bit lighter. And um, at this specific moment, because I'm trying to remember, I'm blanking on many of the more serious topics. One of the ones that I heard you talk about once, because I I meet with your small group ministry leaders every once in a while, and and you had mentioned um, everybody sharing about the house they grew up in. Yes. Which like just seemed genius to me because, you know, thinking about the house I grew up in, it's so evocative and, and, you know, so many little things, little details about it, then, you know, open up into whole other conversations. So I could see something like that being, you know, a really rich way to connect. Yeah, and others. I think one of the hardest we ever talked about for me, and this was with one of the short-term small group ministries. I also like to call them small group conversations. It was about courage. When in your life have you had to act based on courage? Mm -hmm. And given the fact that of what's going on in Ukraine today, we all know what courage can be. But I couldn't think about how it might uh, have have, uh, appeared in my life experience. And uh, but it's true that many of us have had to do things that involved courage in terms of confronting someone about something they've done that was really not appropriate or just uh, making a big move in our lives or uh, or other things. So, but that one, that one I had to struggle with before we discussed it. And then, so you also mentioned the adult, the adult programs work in, I think one of the really incredible things about First Church when I look at it, you know, I've had the real pleasure and honor of serving a bunch of different churches and everywhere has something that's really great about it and everywhere has some stuff that they need to learn, certainly. But um, but yeah, the, the adult programs is just such a thriving and has been such a thriving part of of first church what what have you you know appreciated about working with that team and and what have you seen as far as people's experiences and well it's it's interesting because when i was first on adult programs it was when we were newly forming which was probably say 30 years ago wow and yeah and it was that was when we started meeting regularly and of course we moved to a point now where we have professional staff uh, and that that has been great. Bev Gillette was wonderful. And Lillian, who's been here, I think, probably about eight or nine years now, yeah. has really moved it to, to a different level. And um, I think one of the wonderful things, uh, two things, about being on committees and about attending adult programs are that it gives you an opportunity to get to know people in ways you'll never get to know them just mm. by going to church on Sunday morning. Um, and the range of topics has been so very broad from things like the moth hour, which has been just great fun and everyone has loved to um, some very deep programs on dealing with uh, preparation for dying and mm. wills and estates and uh, taking a look at political issues, but not through a political lens, but much more through a lens of understanding the process rather than uh, saying, hey, this is what we're for, or this is where I'm a Democrat or a Republican or whatever. It's just really trying to analyze things. And of course, we're blessed by having so much talent in the congregation yeah. that um we're able to do some pretty amazing programming uh, often without going outside of our own uh, 
community. That's super fun that you were on the group 30 years ago and then left and then came back and to just see, you know, the evolution of something that's, Mm. that's really, that's really fun. I often, I often think about that because, you know, I'm like a, a catalyst within institutions and so many things you don't really get to see the 30 years later fruition of, of, of work that you did early on. So that's, that's really fun. Yeah. Well, one of the fun things with First Church, and, you know, it's one of the, you have to look at the good sides of growing old. And one of the good things is you do have a timeline, a long view of things. And First Church, I joined when Diane Miller was the minister. And it, over all these years, has just kept getting better and better and better and growing in sophistication and what it adds. And um, another important learning, and right now with you, Chris, and with most of the ministers we have, we've been able to, uh, I mean, we've been able to just love and grow through the assistance and leadership of our ministers. But the other thing I learned uh, quite some years ago is that this is our community, regardless who the minister is. And that there is a lot of um, comfort in knowing that you've got a group you can depend yeah. on for your life, during yeah. your life yeah. and after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that actually earlier today because there was this sweet moment. Sam and I were in the back of the sanctuary and um, somebody who she had just started coming to the church right before the pandemic um, and she's been deepening in her relationship through through the pandemic. And anyway, so she just wanted to officially sign the book and, and join. And it's interesting what you say, because a lot of her relationship with the church in the beginning was with Sam and I, you know, and a lot of the way Sam and I work with people is then we help them connect with another series of five, 10 people who then become their relationship. You know, that's really the deepening uh, and where it gets really magical, I think, is once you have those relationships with other people and, you know, still with me, still with Sam, but really it's all those others relationships. And exactly in that moment, the person four feet away was uh, this wonderful new mother uh, family who's coming in. And she was there with her two little daughters. And so far, really the bulk of her interaction has been with me and I met with her and her husband on zoom and we talked about the program in the church and they've been coming for the last couple weeks and already they're starting to branch out and start to meet other people and you can just kind of feel all these connections Mm -hmm. uh, being made it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing and then you have folks like you and Dick and other people who have been at the church for you know decades and decades and decades and have experiences stretching so far back it's a Mm. it's a great thing and you and and you know again to me I can't emphasize enough the importance of getting on a committee, um, uh, joining uh, some sort of programs, even if it's just once in a long while. And again, for those who have young families or 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 teenage or even older, uh, having that be a source of connection, yeah. because it will be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the other big thing you're doing right now is is the stewardship committee. And we're in the beginning, I think still technically the beginning of this year's campaign. But what what was it that made you want to join this team, which is fantastic that you joined the team? And um, yeah, how's how's this year sort of unfolding for you? Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> the way I decided to get involved was that I was at a meeting of the small group ministry facilitators. And one of them who had been on this committee said that he encourages everyone he speaks to to get involved with something. And he mentioned stewardship in it. And I thought to myself, geez, you know, I've worked my the last uh, 10, 15 years of my professional life were as a fundraiser. Mm. And um, this is something that I really should be doing. And um, so I, I offered myself up. And um, it's interesting because I, I was in sales before I was in fundraising. <clears throat> and one of the things I know 
is you have to believe your own product or your own, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, um, <clears throat> that if you don't really believe in it, you're never going to sell it successfully. And I believe so deeply and have been so uh, prominently, so, so deeply influenced by the, the church. And uh, particularly in, in these last years where it's, it's been a real source of my sanity mm-hmm. that um, I, I thought this was a way that I could give back. And <clears throat> I'll also mention that Dick and I did uh, increase our pledge this year substantially, but it's not because I'm on the stewardship committee. It's because I realized how how important the church has been to me in remaining sane and involved and upbeat Mm. during the time of COVID. And that it's important that I support the things that have benefited me, but also things like social action that I don't do much with. But if I give to the church, someone else will do the work. (laughs) (laughs) So. I love, I love that. And I, you know, I'm, I've been more involved in the stewardship life of the church than some ministers. I've always, I've always really loved stewardship mostly because, you know, like you say, I really, I really believe in the product, right? Like I really believe in the thing that we're raising money for. And I know that so many, for me, it's, you know, the whole rest of the staff team, like, you know, myself included, you know, it's my salary also, but it's really, really the whole rest of the staff team, especially, I know that we can, you know, take more strides towards fair compensation. I know that we can be more generous, you know, with our benefits and do right by our staff if, if we have successful stewardship campaigns. And so I'm always ready to dig in and do whatever the team needs me to do and, and be, be helpful in any way I can. And I've always been, you know, um, it's, it's, I haven't been perplexed. I understand why some people are uncomfortable talking about money. For me, the stakes are just so high because Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, not to, because Sam and Lillian and all of the rest of the staff are really working incredibly hard. Um, and that, you know, that we can do right by them if we have these successful stewardship campaigns. And I love the fact that, you know, I think I forget what the goal is this year or something like 626. I forget what it is. Um, but it's, it's a large goal. It's many hundreds of thousands of dollars to raise. Um, And what I love about that is we have really a wide, wide, wide range of of people's pledges. And the only way that we get to a number like $626,000 is with every single gift, you know, is with our lead gifts. But then it's really all of the other gifts Mm. all the way down Mm. to the smallest gifts that we get. Like, that's how we get to the end. And there's something really beautiful in that um, to me. That that it really takes all of us and takes all of us doing, doing what we can uh, to get there. So, and anyway. you know, I think a, an important thing with that one thing I notice about our congregation is how many senior citizens we have who are very active and continue to contribute in all sorts of ways. And I think part of that is because the philosophy is give what you can comfortably give. And so this can be an extended part of people's lives. And I think with this senior population, some people probably can't give, I mean, they probably have to stretch to give anything. And then others really have a point where they they know what their assets are and what they need to live for the rest of their lives. And so they increase their giving. And and no one cares. I mean, we care, but we care because it's what supports us. But no one is valued based on what they give. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with them. It's a fascinating part of of who we are and what we do. It's uh, also sort of fascinating to me, and I I feel like I'm one long sales plug for the church. But hey, man, you know when you're in sales, you're in sales. Yeah. It doesn't matter. 
but it's how diverse the things that the staff have been doing um, mm-hmm. that are nowhere near their, their job description. Yeah. <laughs> and a great example of that is if people look around the, the church right now, they'll see the cartoons that the stewardship committee have put up, which has been a fun, really fun project for it's us. A great project. But yeah. two of them, one was done by Rayanne Mason and one was done by Nate Sellers. Yeah. And um, very willingly, I mean, unless you pulled a few legs, I, I don't think that, ha- and I don't think you had to. I think they just were willing to do it. And believe me, that's nowhere in their job description. Well, and I mean, this, this podcast, the, the, you know, like, dear listener, you are listening to something that is not on Sam Wise yeah. Foster's <laughs> job description, you know, and, and, and really, I was just talking to somebody at church today about this. That's like, really one of my favorite things about, about the staff is every, every single person, every single person has had this really wide portfolio who, you know, like Sam, our membership, you know, what's your actual title, Sam? Uh, it is membership and outreach manager. If you can hold all of that in your mouth, right? Membership mm. and outreach manager, and the original job description does not include podcast. No, does not include making videos, candle videos. You know, does not include so many things. But it's been a huge piece of. And Sam and I together, we create those Sunday emails that go out. I mean, Janice creates the template. I put in the little top worship thing and then Sam does the rest of it, you know? So there's all of this communication stuff that's, yeah. and then Sam and Ryan and I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely like the slow one racing to keep up with the, with the moving wagon, but we, <laughs> we together do all like our beginning, all of the social media stuff. And, you know, it's really, it's amazing how much everybody's doing in response to this moment. I was thinking about this while uh, while Susan was talking about stewardship because, you know, I can't speak for the rest of the staff, but speaking for myself, it's actually oddly gratifying and fulfilling to be extending my job description and doing these new things for the community that the community need that they didn't previously need for me because, you know, circumstances changed, the pandemic changed everything. Now the congregation needs other things from me. And so, so sort of, you know, learning new skills and trying trying to rise to that need is, has been a, has been a challenge for all of us. But it, it's been nice in a way because it's like, oh, I do matter to this community. You know, it's it's a job, but it's not just a job. This is my spiritual community, and and there's something there's something that feels really good about knowing that I matter to this community and that I can help them and that I can be part of it and that I can, you know, and in a way, you know, in a, in a, in a funny way, I think of the, I think of. Um, the stewardship drive in a similar kind of way. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're part of a community like this one, you matter to the community in all sorts of ways. You matter because you volunteer your time. You matter because you're teaching people's kids in CRE. You matter because, you know, you're donating uh, money that keeps the lights on and keeps the programs running and you matter in all sorts of different ways. And that mattering, I think, I think is, is a spiritual need as well as, as well as a, as a, as a, as a practical one. And and this, but there's something there's something you know spiritual spiritually fulfilling about 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 challenging myself to rise to these new needs that that my spiritual community has. Yeah, you know, and I, I think what you're saying too, Sam, is that some of it's invisible. And I think back, this is going back many years to when my mother died, and we had a memorial service for her in the parlor. And it was back in the days when you could still light a fire in the parlor. And, and, you know, to be able to have my family come in and have the room beautifully set up with a fire. And that was, I don't know whether it was Louise back then or his uh, predecessor. But again, you know, some of the stuff that, that, well, we've seen all of our church members moving chairs, but you still need a professional person to do it as well. Mm. So that's also something that means a lot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been doing also is um, inviting, if you have any questions for Sam or I also, um, you can ask us any questions. About Um, anything, about about spirituality, about anything, whatever. Do you have any questions for us? 
this this was hard for me to to think about, but um, let me let me ask one that um, I actually had submitted to the the mailbag at one point, which is um, trying to figure out where we fit in the greater church world, nice. and um, I'm my, I'm guessing that in Unitarian Universalism we'd be considered a large medium sized church but maybe we're a small, large church. And, and also about um, every church is so different as I saw traveling cro- across the country. And um, any observations either of you would like to make about um, how you perceive our church within the greater denomination? I perceive us as one of the really strong churches in the denomination, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on these things. Yeah, no, it's a good one. Um, So I think on a, on a real concrete level, we have 420 adult members. And so that's basically a larger mid-sized church. There's all of these, you know, it's all a little bit make-believe, but the official big cutoff to where you become a large church in, in Unitarian Universalism, I think is like 550 uh, adult members, you know, for whatever that's worth. I, th- I think to me, the other big dynamic is size of staff. And so we have, you know, a larger staff than many places. And um, one of the things that is also interesting is, is me being the only official minister you know, that we have so many uh, support staff um, and so many people. We have a larger music staff than many places, which is wonderful and, is, you know, fits with the sort of musical identity of First Church. But I think the the big difference to me is, well, two things come to mind. The first is we also have more long-term members than anywhere. I've served a lot of places by this point. And by far and away, we have more members who have been at the church 20 plus years, 30 plus years, 40 plus years, um, way more, like order of magnitude more than anywhere else I've served, Mm. which I think is really beautiful and really powerful. And I think speaks to the long-term stability of the vast majority of ministers who have come before me and of just the strength of leadership, you know, the, 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 the congregation has done a really good job at, you know, cultivating and continuing and, and sort of self perpetuation, um, which has been, which is a real strength. Um, So, yeah, I think that's the big thing. And then the other, the other really different piece is because of a number of those factors. Well, I should say the other, the other thing is the, the staff team right now is just really strong you know, I, I came on, yeah, I'm the newest, right? I mean, I guess Rianne, but I'm, I'm of the core, you know, like everybody else had been in their job at least a couple of years by the time I came. So I, you know, was, I was, we have been helping to shape and direct people's jobs, but people kind of knew their jobs when I, when I came, which is great. Cause then you can kind of hit the ground running and there's not a lot of energy that had to go into finding people and training people. It was just like, all right, we have the locomotive is on the track, ready to go. Let's fire her up and see what she can do. Um, and the team was already really connected too, which is really helpful. You know, they all really loved each other and worked well with each other when I got there, which is, you know, comes with its own tiny challenges of sort of breaking in as the new guy, but it helps that you, you know, are in charge. So, um, <laughs> but, but so that was great that the team was so high functioning and, and ready to go. And I think that's one of the other big differences in many places. So one of the things that I've seen, I've been serving as one of the leadership team for the local sort of ministers association. Um, and, and churches are in a tough spot. A lot of churches, I sort of think of it as these last two years have had a lot of kind of earthquakes, right? And any structural challenges, any cracks in the foundation that were there before COVID um, have just really blown up in a lot of places. So we've had tons of ministers retire, leave, quit. We've had tons of ministers fired. We have tons of other staff fired. And it's, it's 
lots of conflict and lots of challenging circumstances. And, you know, it's just been a really super stressful time. Um, so there's definitely a number of churches that are also thriving. Um, everybody who's thriving and doing well is doing it a little bit differently, I would say, which is, I guess, always true, but now especially. Um, but there's definitely a lot of a lot of conflict and a lot of turnover and a lot of places I think are in, in a really pretty hard spot. So so I'm I'm working hard with my colleagues to help support other colleagues and other congregations and see what we can do. And working with the board and the staff, you know, we're working on this community collaborative project, which is really intentionally how can we help seven other congregations really thrive through adult programs, you know, and looking at some religious education projects and ways that we can help support some other smaller churches. But but yeah, it's it's definitely a tough moment for lots of places. Um, but yeah, what about you, Sam? What do you, what do you sort of, I don't much to add. I just, um, I was thinking about, uh, maybe a, a, a generational turnover, which is a universal thing in the, in the, in the UU world. I was first told about this at the previous church I worked at, uh, at in Newton, uh, by a very wise soul who told me, Sam, you know, one of the things that's happening generationally now is that older UUs, they join committees and are active in the committee life of the church because that's that's that kind of structured their social life the way you make friends the way you build community was was by joining committees and that was and what's interesting is that is that for sort of millennials and the younger generations they they the way they find community is very different and that that that's that's a that's a, a sort of growing problem in uh in 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 uu churches is that is that it's harder to get younger people uh onto committees and i think some of us have some experience of this because because that's just not how they connect with folks they connect through you know social media or whatever uh you know and so uh, uh but i think that 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 first church is 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 weathering this change pretty well i think we're pretty good at incorporating our our younger folks i mean yes the you know the, the the younger folks who um who come through our doors on a sunday morning for the first time tend to be uh, tend to be families with little kiddos and maybe they've moved to the area for the schools and so on. Um, and they're trying to build community and, um, but, 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 but it's something, something I, I, I wonder about is that over time as, uh, as, as, as patterns change about how people socialize and how people build community, how are we going to, how are we going to rethink, you know, um, our, our committee structures or the way in which we provide services and community to, to younger people to, to, keep up with with a changing world so sorry that was a that was a very, very large and vague answer but i think it's something i've been thinking about it's a fascinating transition you know i think of my colleagues and predecessors who you know started in ministry before email mm. and i think of all the digital transitions that we've had in the last two years of you know just assuming that youtube was going to be a part of our programmatic lives, you know, and that we'd be producing many videos, producing this podcast, that we would be sort of multi-platform in this really shocking way. And when you look back, I mean, I guess this has always been happening. There's always been the next different technology. I grew up in a church, Framingham, Massachusetts. And one of my earliest church memories are is the the mimeograph machine i think it was called i remember sitting in the church office my mother and father both were volunteers in the church and they would make their own orders of service and and i would be playing on the ground uh in the office while they were cranking those out um and you know like that was an innovation too so we've just sort of always been innovating but it does feel like generationally there's a pretty big shift where, you know, I look at my own children who, you know, shockingly Benjamin, who's my eldest, who's 14 right now, he'll be part of our target market, right? In, in 10 years, right? Which is mm, shocking. Mm, mm. When you think of the world he's grown up in where he will have had his own phone since the age of 13, where he's connected to the entire world, right? Mm where that sort of screen modded, you know, uh, mediated existence is just going to be part of his life in a different way. So when we're trying to grow into mm -hmm. this next moment, and one of the cool <laughs> things about churches is we're serving 
Benjamin and we're serving Ilsa Caprillion, who I think just turned 90, right? And so yeah, it's yeah, one of the yeah. really beautiful things that we have this huge span where we have some people, you know, and and then within any age too, we have people who, you know, are early adapters, technology of any age, and we have people who are super resistant in any age. I'm 45. I'm probably one of the more resistant. <laughs> <laughs> Um, personally, uh, but, but it, it's really super fascinating. And then when you think of, like you're saying, Sam, uh, modes of service, modes of connection, modes of leadership, it's like, how does all of that change, you know, Mm. to make space for this next generation and what are they, you know, what are they looking for? And is it, you know, I've tried to recruit a couple of our younger people and they were like, well, I don't really do night meetings. And I'm like, (laughs) 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 okay. This is just complicated because it's like, well, that committee has always met it in the night, but does it have to, you know, and does it have to meet monthly and does it have to meet? I think there's some things that are just sort of, what's the word, entropy within an institution that we just have always done it this way. And I think if we're learning anything from the pandemic is, you know, we can, we can pivot real, real quick and we can pivot over and over again. We can ask. Yeah, you know, do we need to do it like this, or is there another way that we could achieve the same, serve the same mission? Right. Sorry, I had to laugh when you said that your son that's thirteen and is already using a phone. So I, when I went to, I just went to England to visit my family, to visit my mother and my sister and her two kids, and my nephew is two, uh, going on three, and he has an iPad, right, and he plays games on his iPad. And his older six, sister, who's six years old, is constantly texting me. <laughs> She's six on her own iPad, and it's like, wow, this is this is this is this is a generation that that just is going to have patterns of communication that are totally different right. from. <laughs> She's texting yeah. you now from. Now that you're back in America, she's still yeah, texting. Yeah, yeah. Now she's just like texting me, and she's right. six. And all of a sudden, yeah. you have a personal one-on-one relationship with this kid. It's fascinating. With the six-year-old, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think the two-year-old is texting yet, but he he knows how to use an iPad. There's so. going to be some serious emoji <laughs> emojis in your future. Yes. Yeah, you have you have that challenge of those who know and those who are aging out, you know, and and how you how you blend the two, right. Yes, and well, it's it's a constant process. It never stops. As you yeah. know, there's it's always going to be so. So this two year old who's playing with an iPad, when he's forty, his kids are going to be laughing like, "Dad, what's an iPad?" You know, right. <laughs> it just goes right. on. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, and I think it's it's a fascinating thing, especially now with what we're facing with this transition back. You know, we're communicating in so many ways, and we're sending out, like you were mentioning, the 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 cartoons the stewardship cartoons that are up at church and that we've sent out in the sunday emails you know and now i mean the dear listener listening to these words you know this is one of i don't know six or six or ten different medium of communication that we're using these days which is just really wild and it all takes time and it all takes energy and it all takes vision and it all takes you know commitment and follow through and you know all of it it's really it's really super wild. So I think that's the other big difference to me when we're looking at congregations is I feel like this last, especially the last two years already, I, you know, connect with colleagues in some of our smaller congregations, not even smaller necessarily, but some of our less resourced congregations with fewer staff members and few smaller amounts of time of fewer staff members. And it's just, you know, on some level, it's like we're playing different sports. Like you just can do a whole different kind of music program when you have a San, an Ian and a Simon mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. are, you know, wildly capable, incredibly gifted, and who we have full-time Ian and half-time Simon. You know, that's just a whole different thing. And, you know, so I think the churches that have had, you know, colleagues and staff teams who can work together and the churches that haven't had colleagues who are doing all of the videos themselves, you know, that we're trying to learn all this stuff that I've had Nate and Ian and Sam working on so hard. Like if I was trying to do this all myself, let's just say there would be less of it (laughs) and it would not be as pretty. (laughs) So um, yeah. It it reminds me, we need to 
it reminds me of what I think about a lot, which is how really fortunate we are to have this highly functional uh, resource of our, our church available that um, it's not a given for so many. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, and also just so many, so many talented people and, and like subject area experts and things in the congregation, you know, we've got so many people in the congregation who are musicians who can give fascinating talks on their areas of expertise, who can build stage sets, who can do all sorts of things. I mean, anything, I mean, we, we, we just got, we're very lucky to have such a, such a creative and, and gifted community to, to be serving. So, you know, we get to collaborate with you guys as well. That's good. So it's, it's really fun. All right. Well, I think the one last, and it would be probably a nice way to end is we've also been asking people uh, about the favorite principles or the purposes and, and the um, sources. If, if there's one that's been particularly speaking to you in this moment, I think this has been a fun a refresher course for some of us to just yeah, dip a toe back into it has, the principles for me <laughs> a little bit. So is there one looking at it that particularly speaks to you these days? Well, I, I got a little confused looking this up as I, um, as I mentioned briefly, yeah. I took out my little card that I got in the foyer about what do Unitarian Universalists believe and um, I used to carry these years ago. And when someone asked me, I'd just hand them the card. And I discovered the questions were a little different there than mm. uh, the principles on the website. So I'm going to read two sentences to you. Sure. And they give you, I think they really work together. I don't know which one came from where. One is acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth. Yeah. And the second one, uh, we believe in the importance of religious community. The validation of experiences requires the confirmation of peers who provide a critical platform along with a network of mutual support. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. I haven't heard that second one. That sounds sounds like a kind of a gloss on on uh, the on the principle that you read the first one. That's very interesting. That's that's the last one on the card. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, and, and that's an interesting question, I think. And we talked about it a little bit with Mary Harrison earlier. But what is that? And it's kind of tied into what we're talking about with the adult programs and and really everything. But what has what has spiritual growth kind of meant for you? What does it mean for you now? It ties in a lot with the um, the discussions we have in small group ministry and finding that um, we are not alone in some of the things we think about or believe that uh, looking at it all by ourselves, we think make us weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Actually, yeah. a question that I have about that, I, I want to, this would be where I would need to do some reading on the, uh, the history of the, the principles and, um, and of, you know, the, the, the merger in 1961 and how that language was, um, how that, how that language came about, but, um, acceptance of one another and encouragement, to spiritual growth in our congregations, I believe is the whole, is the whole sentence. Am I right about yeah. that? I yeah, think it's, yeah, yeah. And, and, and acceptance of one another, I get but encouragement, spiritual growth in our congregations. I wonder why that phrase was added. I wonder if the idea is something like, you know, is that we grow together as a congregation. So it's, it's yeah. maybe it's, maybe it's placing the emphasis not on the individual spiritual growth, but on us right. spiritually growing together as a community. I yeah, might be wrong about that. I'd have to read the history, but I just, I just wonder what, what that means. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. And I, and I was, I was thinking that earlier today. So we had the, our, uh, partners from the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee in worship today, and and they were telling the story about some of the early the members who helped create the UUSC forever ago, um, who in those very pews, which they said, which I thought was really beautiful, you know, and you think about the long arc of history at First Church, where you know those folks, you know, the Dexters who went to 
you know, Nazi Germany and witnessed the atrocities firsthand mm. and came back to tell the story, they sat in those pews, like right in that same place. Mm. And they hoped for similar things and they worked for similar things. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to be in the midst of that, you know, long arc of, of the spiritual growth in an organization and in community and in the wider and, world. You know, I think the chalice, if I'm correct, uh, came from that, that one of the issues they had was how would people recognize them when they're standing right. on those train platforms or whatever. And that was the beginning of our use of the, the chalice. Yeah. I believe that's true. Yeah, I think it was you originally designed as a stamp on on documents to help folks get visas out of Europe to America. Am I right about that? You, I think the um, chalice stamp came first, and now we actually have a, a use a physical chalice, um, but it originated in the stamp and not the other way around. Well, and this is sort of a perfect ending because we just were using this image of the chalice and talking about it in this poem in particular, spilling the light from Reverend Teresa Soto in a Vesper service earlier this week. So we don't usually close with these kind of words like this, but I think we should today because it fits really well with everything we've been saying. She says, the chalice is a reminder that what flame we keep inside cannot light the way. The light must spill to shine. The thing you must be is yourself, unadulterated, shedding the willingness to journey alone as though you are made of something hard and unforgivable. You are human. You belong right here, right now. And together we will chase away the sickness, the secrets, and leave only the open possibility that the future is a space for growth. Isn't that lovely? Mm, I like that. Well, Susan, thank you so much for all you're doing and for this moment and all you've given to the church for so long. It's been very sweet to hear some more of your story and, and chat. So thanks for Yeah, it was fascinating on. talking to you, Susan. Truly my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, and I, I look forward to all the podcasts. It's gotten me back on the treadmill to listen to these. Well, there oh, you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome all right well thank and thank you sam always a always a treat and thank, thank you, you for listening and do reach out uh, minister at you belmont.org if you have any questions uh for the mailbag and we have a bunch of other folks coming for this season too so thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon bye everyone